0: amen welcome to mountain view this morning and we're here to worship the king of kings and to praise him this morning with our hearts full of praise just like that song and so i want you to stand to your feet uh, this morning and and as we sing as we worship and as we sing how great is our god we sing this a lot it's just a beautiful song of praise to our king of kings and our lord of lords so let's lift him up this morning as we sing how great is our god you know it
1: There's
2: Great is our God. Let's continue our singing this morning. We'll revive us again as we prepare ourselves for worship.
3: for being here today and we welcome all of you especially our guests thank you for being with us if you're a guest here this morning there's a little guest card in the back of chair in front of you if you'd be so kind to fill that out then we'll have a record of your visit today and that's important to us and so those who are viewing online Facebook or YouTube we welcome you and thank you for being a part of our service if you've been out because of sickness and you're back today course we welcome you and I know you're happy to be back and we're happy to have you back and so thank you for being here this time we're going to have a word of prayer and we'll continue our time of worship father thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence and worship you this morning and so I pray that we've had a good week lord we've had a blessed week you've given us the health to be here today And so we can come together in one accord, in one spirit, and worship you. Prayerfully, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray that uh, we would be like the psalmist today and be happy to be here. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so it is a happy time to be with your people, be with uh, friends and new friends And, Father, to be with you. And so we pray this morning that you'll be honored and glorified in everything. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I thought, well, (laughs) my bad. (laughs) Tonight, let me go ahead and make an announcement. Tonight, we're going to go ahead and have our live auction for Operation Christmas Child. And so, uh, let me encourage you to be here. It's going to be a fun time. And we've uh, we've been planning for this auction. We have a silent auction going on now. You can go behind the doors here and you can bid on some items. And then tonight we'll meet back at five o'clock and start having discipleship training. We're gonna come inside and we're going to view some videos of some shoe boxes that were delivered last year and children receiving those shoe boxes. And so uh, we're gonna be blessed by seeing those videos. And then after we finish in here, we're going to, uh, go, to uh, go down the children's hall and we're gonna have a hot dog supper with chips, hot dogs, chips and drinks and some desserts. We're Gonna go into the children's activity room and have our time of fellowship there. And then right after that, we're gonna have our live auction. We're gonna have, have a good time. Remember to come tonight, especially at five o'clock as we view uh, last year's delivery of those shoe boxes. And then also our children's choir. They're going to sing for us tonight. And so you'll hear them. And so let me encourage you to be here at five o'clock. Remember, the auction is to raise funds for the postage for those shoe boxes. Uh, the average shoe box is $9 a shoe box. Our goal is to pack 500 shoe boxes, and so we'll need to raise about $4,500 to take care of the postage. But if you will view these videos, this one video, just for a moment, kind of give you an idea of what Operation Christmas Child is all about.
1: The joy of seeing a child open the boxes for the first time is just,
3: it's incredible.
4: There's squeals and screams and they're so excited to see what's inside their boxes.
3: Every
2: shoebox gives, represents the love of God to them. We are so
4: excited, many of the
1: children received the shoebox for the first time in
0: their life. We're here with Operation Christmas Child, the kids are so excited. We had the opportunity to hand out some of the boxes. There's so much joy, so much happiness, and it gives us an opportunity to present the gospel. We pray that these boxes will be used bring a lot of happiness and joy, but more importantly, the gospel to each heart, all these little children around the world.
1: What a great gift. I get a present, I get to know
0: who Jesus is, but not only that, I get to be discipled in his ways. Hundreds of thousands of volunteers work with Operation Christmas Shell every year, preparing these boxes, praying for the boxes, that God will use them in a mighty way for his glory. This little shoebox has the opportunity to change the world. Not only are they gonna get a shoe box, they're gonna get the love and the message of Jesus Christ. Some go by helicopter, some go by ship, some go by camel, donkeys, canoes. We go at great lengths to take these boxes to children in the most remote parts of the world. And it's an incredible journey
2: children open the box they have the opportunity to go through the greatest journey the 12 lesson discipleship program where they get to learn more about Jesus
4: Christ right now I'm right outside of Maslan, Mexico about six hour drive up in the mountains this is an indigenous people group people that never heard the gospel before the kids and the families that accepted Christ almost a hundred altogether have now started a church
3: Hemos visto una a preciosa, grande que da en el pueblo. Y ese pueblo va a ser el medio para llevar el Evangelio a otro lugar. Que estas bendiciones que son de las cajitas sigan llegando hacia arriba
1: en la montaña. This shoebox gives us an opportunity to continue to shine the bright light of the gospel in the darkest and remote places around the world.
0: We're seeing families come to know Jesus. Churches are sprouting up in these communities. These children are rising up to be disciples in their own country.
3: The gift box and the gospel of Jesus Christ bring hope to our children to bring the smiles back on their faces.
0: No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly. This is what these shoeboxes are all about, to go out and bring a hope of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm just so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. But we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, so thank you. And God bless each and every (laughs) one. and have our prayer our intercessory prayer time right now and so I'm just going to pray for these shoe boxes and then uh, after we pray our choir will sing so let's just pray for these boxes as they go out pray for joy for Caitlin for Scott as they lead this uh, uh, special special ministry in our church and so let's just ask the Lord to to pray Uh, ask the Lord to to bless these boxes as we prepare to give them father I come to you now thank you for this day I thank you for the opportunity for us to be here uh, together to worship I pray, God, that you would, uh, God, just uh, bless this time now that we, uh, we focus in on, on the physical needs of people that are hurting this morning and the spiritual needs of people that are hurting. God, we, you know every need. You know every battle that people are facing. And God, I also ask you right now to, to bless the, the Operation Christmas Child shoebox ministry that we have, Lord. Many of these boxes will be sent out. All of the boxes will be sent out all across the world. And God, with the gospel in mind, and that's what we want to do, we want we want people to accept you. We want people to accept you as their Lord and Savior. And these boxes will will help to do that. Uh, I pray, God, that we would um, uh, we would just be um, just fired up and ready to go as we as we pack these boxes, as we give money for postage. Lord, just help us realize that there are needs out there uh, and people are hurting and people need the gospel. Go with us the remainder of our time today in this worship service, and I ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And he said this, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the ends of the world. And that's the promise that our Lord gave us for those of us who trust in him, is that he's with us everywhere we go. Amen. He's with us in the good times and the bad times. He's there. If you're going through an issue today, I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. But who does? Jesus does. And he's there. And that's the important part. And look, if you don't know Him today, guess what? He's right here this morning. You believe that? I believe it. And He's here. So if you're looking for a Savior, looking for a Lord, the Lord of Lords, He's right here. He's here. So I want you to stand as we sing this song, There Was Jesus. You know it. It's a popular song by Zach Williams. It just speaks to the truth that He's there with us. And so sing out. Sing to Him and be thankful that He's there with you right now. He's here in this place this morning, so let's sing out to him. Every time I
1: try to make it on my own, every time I try to stay and start to my own.
0: All those only
1: roads did I could travel on. My bill came crashing to the ground When the friends I had were nowhere to be mine I couldn't see it then, but I could see it It was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching, in the Yeah
3: Thank you so much. Thank you, praise team. Thank our choir and thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. And so, um, pray the Lord was glorified. Pray that he was pleased and thank you for coming to church to worship and then taking part in worship. This morning, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to be, I'm going to be sharing several passages of scripture. And if you would, um, uh, some will be on the screen, our main text will be on the screen, but then... You may want to jot them down, look at them later, because I'm going to. You'll have to listen fast this morning. I've got a lot to say. And so uh, this morning I want to share with you about God's plan for revival. God's plan for revival. And I want to look first at Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And we'll look at verse 29 through 30. So out of respect and out of reverence to God's inspired and fallible word, would you please stand as we look at these texts together? We'll look first at Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. Mark 12, verse 29 and 30. Jesus is speaking. Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. Now, if you would, look over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, five, uh, chapter 12, verses 5 through 6 Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 through 6 speaking about the discipline of God verse 5 says and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons my son do not despise the chastening of the lord nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him for whom the lord loves he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And now all the way over to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We're going to read about one of the seven churches. This is the church at Ephesus, chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 4, 5, and verse 7. He says to the church at Ephesus, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I'm going to stop with that verse. Uh, Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence now and worship you and now to... Look into your word. Thank you for each person here. Speak to our hearts individually. Speak to us as a church. And Father, we pray that we would examine our own heart and we would pray, Lord, as believers that revival would begin in our own personal lives, that we would have a fresh encounter with you. And it would be noticed in our life and we would go out from here and share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That others may come to know him as their personal Lord and Savior. We know one day you're going to return for your church. That could be at any time. And so help us, we pray, to experience a fresh encounter with you beginning today. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God's plan for revival. Please be seated. For several Sunday mornings, I've been preaching about the need to, our need to experience a revival. Now, revival is a churchy word, perhaps, but a revival is not just a date on the calendar. A revival is not when a Visiting preacher comes and preaches a series of sermons. A revival is not uh, transforming or reforming your behavior. A revival is not necessarily rededication. We'll talk about that a little more toward the end. Revival is just not changing your ways. But revival means to restore to life. Revival is for God's people. Revival is not for the person without Jesus Christ. They need to be saved. Revival is for the people of God. Revival is when God revives his people to a a point to where they are filled with his Holy Spirit and power in their lives. And they go forth sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with those they come in contact with. Revival simply means uh, a uh, restore to life. Now, when God created you as an individual, he created you for an intimate and a personal love relationship with him. God wants to have a love relationship with every person on earth. Jesus said that the most important command in God's word is found in Mark chapter 12. We read just a few minutes ago, Mark 12 verse 29 and 30. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is the great commandment. This is the first commandment. So God wants to have a love relationship with every person on earth. Now, more than anything else, God wants us to love him. That is God's ideal for your life, is to love Him. Now, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have surrendered uh, their lives fully to Him as Lord, they have a new life in Christ. John 17 verse 3 says, and this is eternal life. Listen what eternal life is. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Now, you come to know God when you experience this love relationship with him for which you were created. You were created to have a love relationship with God. Now, when your love relationship with God is right, then obedience to God follows if your love relationship is not right with God as a believer, then there's disobedience in your life. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so the point is, when, you, when your love for the Lord compels you to obey him, you have, and you have put everything away that offends him, then revival occurs in your life. Let me say that again when your love for the Lord compels you to obey Him and you've put everything in your life that offends Him out of your life, then that's when revival occurs. So revival is for God's people who need a fresh encounter, a fresh love relationship with God Almighty. Now, on Sunday nights, during discipleship training, I've been teaching the pattern for revival and spiritual awakening. We've been studying about six weeks and going through a certain pattern that has been established through the Old Testament and New Testament, how we can experience a fresh encounter with God. Now this morning, this sermon's gonna be kind of a review to some that have been here on Sunday night. However, it'll be very meaningful to others who have not had the, the opportunity so to speak, to be here on Sunday night. Now, first of all, jot this down. Now, you don't have, uh, 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 you may have this outline. You have the outline, I believe. We have the outline. First of all, jot this down. God is on mission to redeem a lost world to himself. God, in eternity past, made a commitment on his behalf to redeem a lost world to himself. And so, from eternity past, he's been on mission to redeem a lost world to himself. Now, he wants everyone to be saved. Everyone. Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus came to do what? Seek and to save those who are lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, matter of fact, God wants everyone to be saved. Always remember that God is a God of love and he wants everyone to hear the gospel and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ came, he died on the cross for our sins, he was buried and he arose again. That's the gospel. And the neat thing about it is God has chosen a people to help him redeem a world to himself. Now, first of all, he, God's own mission. Secondly, jot this down. God calls a people to help him with this mission. Now, jot down Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. This won't be on the screen, but Exodus 19, verse 3 through 6. This is Moses, God choosing a people to be with him on mission to redeem a world. Notice what he says in Exodus 19, verse 3. Moses went up to to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, said, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on angels' wings and brought you to myself. His purpose at this time was not to bring them to a promised land. His purpose was to bring them to himself. Don't miss that fact. Now in verse 5, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God chooses a people, Israel, to assist him, so to speak, to redeem a lost world, to himself, They were to show forth the glory of their God. Now how did that turn out? Well, pretty good to a certain point until the Messiah came, Jesus, and what did they do? They rejected him. They rejected the Messiah. So God's chosen people rejected the Messiah. So what did God do? God chose another people to assist him in redeeming the world to himself. And you'll find this in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to this. Verse 2, verse 9. But ye, speaking of the Gentiles. Now Jews failed, so God has turned to the Gentile. Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Sound familiar? Same thing he told Israel. He's telling us. You. Me. He's telling us that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I call you to salvation. I'm calling you to be a people who were no people. I'm calling you to be a people. And you're going to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So God's own mission He calls the people, the Israelites, to assist him on that mission. They failed in that mission, so he turns to the Gentiles. He turns to you, he turns to me to assist him in that mission. Now notice, you are, he said in in 1 Peter 2, you are a royal priesthood. In other words, you belong to the king of kings, and the king of kings is on mission to redeem a world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to the King of Kings. And the King of Kings has chosen you, chosen me, having put in our faith and trust in Christ, to be on mission to redeem a world. Not just to go to heaven. He saved you not just to go to heaven. But he saved us to be on mission with him to see a lost world come to Jesus Christ. That's why we were saved. He chose us. The moment He brought you from where you were to where He was, His plan for you immediately was for you and for me to be on mission with Him. Do you understand that? Say amen. 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 So we got that right. So we're on mission. So here's the point. God's eternal purpose to win a world is to call a people unto Himself that they could be separated, filled with His presence, then reflect His nature, His character, and they would be an instrument in which He would work to redeem a lost world to Himself. That is pretty plain. And that was His purpose. So, His own mission. So, God's own mission, He calls a people to Himself. But here's the troubling part God's people depart from their love relationship with God. Their own, the Israelites did, and the Gentiles have, and the Gentiles are departing from their love relationship with God. But what's incredible is this. Although they depart from their love relationship with God, there's religious activity still going on. A person departs from God, but still comes to church. A person departs from God, but he still prays. But he's he's departed from God. His heart has shifted from God. They no longer want to be obedient. If you want to know if you're departed from God or not, check your obedience out. If you're not obedient to his word, you have departed from God. Your heart has shifted. Your love for God has shifted the heart shifts to do its own will. And the degree that their heart shifts from God, then God, that's the degree that God departs from them. You depart from Him, He departs from you. So during this heart shift, those who have departed, they begin to create substitutes in their hearts for God. They don't need God any longer. They create these substitutes and their, and their life then begins to reflect the substitutes that they have created to replace God. And you can name your own list of substitutes for God that people have created instead of God. Their love, their heart shifts and their love shifts to some other God that they have substituted for the one true God. So you can increasingly, with that being the case, their life begins to reflect the substitute in which they, they, they use to replace God. And they increasingly have this form of religion, but not the power thereof. Religion without power. Religion without the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Now you need to know, when people depart from God, they tend to go in bondage. Judges 2, 1 through 23, read that sometime. When they walked with God, they were blessed. But when they departed from God, they became under bondage to those things that they had given them things over, their lives over to. They became under bondage to the things they had given themselves over to. So God is on mission. God calls the people to join him in his mission. God's people depart. Their heart shifts. They turn to substitutes to replace God. And then number four, God begins the process of discipline to bring his people back to him. If you have departed from God, never forget this. If you depart from God, God will discipline you. You say, well, Brother Sammy, I just don't believe that. That's that's not what I say. That's what he says. Jot down Hebrews 12. Verse 5, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, if you're without chastisement, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children of God. So if you're backslidden, and if you're disobedient to God, and you know in your heart you're doing opposite from what God's telling you to do, and if you are a child of God, God is going to discipline you. Now, I don't know how He's going to do it, but He'll do it. Now, if, you, if you're so brass to say, well, I do this and this, and nothing ever happens to me, you've got worse problems because you're not a child of God. So when you're out of God's will, and you know what God's will is for your life, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, and, and God begins to discipline you, first of all, you better expect it. Jot it down. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. He disciplines them in love as a parent would discipline a child. But the strange thing is that God's people don't always respond to His discipline. But God continues, and He continues, and He continues to discipline them, hoping and praying that they would return to Him. And then in time, when they can no longer stand the discipline or stand the judgment of God, God's people, number five, they cry out to God. They cry out to Him. They cry out to God. And when they cry out to Him, number six, when the heart cry comes to God, God says this. God says, you either have to repent or you perish. Now, if you're a believer, that don't mean mean you lose your salvation. That don't mean you're going to hell. That means God says, I can no longer use you. And that's what he was telling the church at Ephesus. He says, repent or I'm coming to remove your lampstand. Now, in the book of uh, Revelation, the lampstands refer to those seven churches. And so what God is saying is that discipline can come upon not only individuals, but also as a church. So when a church uh, sins against God's will, then God disciplines the church. And if they don't repent, then he removes their candlestick. He removes that church. Because there are no longer any benefit to him. So he removes the candlestick. And I don't have to tell you, you're pretty well familiar. There's churches all over the United States and the world who have their doors closed because the candlestick's been removed. So it's either life or death. And so at this point, God drops a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? A carpenter's plumb line You know, to make sure the walls are straight, everything's straight. He drops a plumb line. There's a good graph. Thank you, Craig. He drops this plumb line. And he drops it right down in the middle of your life. Let me tell you what the plumb line is. The plumb line is God's Word. And so what he does, he drops his plumb line. In Scripture, God uses the ideal of plumb line to describe what he's doing with his people. An example of that is Amos... Amos Amos chapter, uh, Amos chapter uh, seven. Amos chapter seven, verse seven and eight. Listen to this. This he showed me, "Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord said to me, "Amos, what do you see? And I said a plumb line." Then he said, "Behold, I'm set in a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not pass by any more' So he drops a plumb line, and the plumb line is his word. And so he drops a plumb right, plum line right down the middle of my life and your life in regards to certain things. And so God, God built his people like a straight wall, true to plumb, and when we depart from him, one of our problems is that we really don't realize how far we've departed. We often don't understand how seriously we have strayed from him. We may not know how close we are to just complete collapse and destruction. So God holds a plumb line beside his people so they can see how far they have departed. How far have you departed between the relationship between you and your spouse? How far have you departed between the relationship of, uh, say, uh, of your Uh, A study in your Bible or having a quiet time? How far have you departed from my will for your life? So he drops the scripture, the plumb line, right down in front of us. Your spiritual life has a foundation. And that foundation is a love relationship with God. And the way, you lo- the way you live your life, practice your faith, obey God's command can be represented by how much out of plumb you are with the scripture that God has for you. If, you, if your life is, is out of line with God's plan, you're going to be symptomatic of that. You'll be able to tell it. You'll be able to know it. And God says, here it is. This is where you were. This is is how far you've departed. And so now you need to repent. And you know what repent is? Repent means to change your mind, to change your heart, and to change your will. And to change your activity. That's repentance. Return to me. Return to me. Not an activity. Don't return to activity, but return to me. Some people say, well, I've been out of church, and I'm going to start going back to church. No, return to God. Don't don't return to activity. Don't make some kind of resolution you think is going to change your life. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to turn to God. So God says, my people depart, and they cry out to me, and I tell them to, to either repent, are to, to be destroyed. And the judgment is complete. The judgment is final. But if God's people chooses to return to God and repent, God fills them full of his life again. And that's revival. That revives. That, that brings life back again. So the point is, the life of his people was God himself. And so he returns to his people. The call of God is always this, return to me and I'll return to you. When you return to me, I'll return to you. You say, well, how will the people know that they've returned to God? Well, don't tell God, God, I've returned to you. You'll know if you've returned to God or not. You keep on praying, you keep on repenting, you keep on turning until God returns to you and you'll know it. And after this, his people turns back to him, he fills them with his life, and, they count, and then they'll leave from, from uh, being uh, uh, disciplined to, to be an explosive uh, uh, person for the gospel or with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So can you go back to that, Craig? Can you go back to that diagram? So the diagram is simple, God's own mission, God calls the people, the people, number two, he called them to be on mission with him, number two, they depart, after they depart, he disciplines, after, they dis- after they're disciplined, they cry out, and they cry out to God, he says, you either repent or perish, they repent, and when they repent, they experience revival, and that's a pattern you find throughout scripture. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to offer an appeal, an invitation and first, I'm going to offer this invitation, this appeal to those who are here, to those that are viewing. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, he wants a love relationship with you. Just think, having a love relationship with the God of the universe, you can have that. And he's seeking that. And without that, you're lost without him. Lost and so the appeal this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, you need to come today and say, Brother Sammy, I want, I want to ask Christ to forgive me and come into my life and save me. I want to come today. That's the appeal, for the lost to come to Christ, to put their faith in the gospel, believing in the, in the virgin birth of Jesus and his, his death and his, his uh, resurrection, and he's coming back again. So you come today, that's the appeal, that's the invitation. But then to the Christian this morning, let me speak to you just for a moment. Let me speak to Christians who have departed. Brother any of you have ever departed? Yes, I've departed. You ever been disciplined? Yes, I've been disciplined. If you are a child of God and depart from God, you will be disciplined. Or you're not a child of God. It's very plain. But this morning as a Christian, if you've departed from your love relationship with the Lord, this morning you need to come. And you you need to come not not in rededication, but in repentance. The crux of the gospel is not a call to rededicate your life, but it's a call to repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Matthew 3, verse 2. Jesus preached repentance in his early ministry. And then as a resurrected Lord, he preached repentance. Matthew 4 and 7, Revelation 3, verse 19. And so, listen, here's the point. If your previous commitment did not keep you faithfully walking in obedience to Christ, then a recommitment, a rededication are no more likely to make you more faithful or as faithful as you were before. We're talking repentance. Repentance. The proper response, here's the point, to disobedience is not a commitment to try harder, but brokenness and repentance for rejecting the will of God Almighty in your life. That's what the invitation is for. This morning, God's looking for people to surrender. He's not not looking for willpower. Um, You know, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to be more faithful. I'm going to try. He's not looking for willpower. He's looking for you to say, I've been disobedient in this area of my life, and I am coming to God today asking him to forgive me, and I'm repenting. I have a change in my mind. I see sin as God sees it. I see that was sin. I'm having a change in my will. It's not my will to be done, but it's your will, God, to be done. I'm having change in my activity. People ought to be able to see my life has changed if I've truly, if I've truly repented. That's how you're coming this morning. In repentance. And so when you When you continually, repeatedly break your promises to God, that is a serious matter. I'm going to rededicate my life. And then a month from now, I'm going to rededicate my life. Why is that? Because you broke a promise to God. You've made a vow that you didn't keep. And what you should have done, instead of making a promise and rededicating your life, you should have repented for the sin that broke that love relationship between you and God. Your unfaithfulness, perhaps. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 5, read that. It just simply says it's better not to make a vow than to make one to God and not keep it. My prayer today is, God, help me not to encourage those who have broken their commitment to you to come and make a new promise that they will eventually break again. I get tired of it. If I get tired of seeing people coming and making promises and never follow through, can you imagine how sick that makes God? We're not talking rededication, folks. We're talking repentance. Something in my life that I know without a shadow of a doubt that it's broken my relationship with God. So God's appeal is that if you have departed from your love relationship with me, Come and repent. A change of mind. See sin as God sees it. A change of heart. My heart shifted, God. I have put something else in your place in my life. And I'm giving that all my love right now. And I've divided my love with you and you want all of it. A change of heart. A change of will. Not my will be done, but yours. A change of activity. Lord, I'm coming now. My life will be different. Repentance is standing in the plumb line of God, remembering what we used to be and what God intends for us to be. And seeing how far we've departed and suddenly realizing that God this morning has called for an accounting of my life. So today, God is saying, return or perish. And if you don't return, you are absolutely no good to me to win a lost world to myself. Let me give you a personal testimony. I've gone over. Forgive me, Lord. Personal testimony. John 21 Verse 15 through 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, uh, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? This week I received a gift uh, for Pastor Appreciation Month. And it was just this little book. And i This is a little book is from Radical. This is uh, from our good friend Secret Church. And this is just a little book, it's about 40 pages of a sermon from David Platt. And so he sent this to me. And, And the title of the sermon is Shepherd the Flock. Eight questions for pastors of God's people. So I just innocently picked that book up. And uh, first thing, first question was this. Do you love your ministry more than you love Jesus? Wow. And, And it reminded me It reminded me that the call to lead the church flows from the love that I have for Christ. There is a direct relationship between loving the Son of God and shepherding the flock of God. So the question is this Is it possible? To have a fruitful ministry for Jesus, totally apart from a personal intimacy with Jesus. And all of a sudden, God's Spirit said to my spirit, Yes, it is. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then he said, I'll declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Then God just dropped that plumb line right down in front of me and showed me how far that I had drifted from my personal intimacy with him. Things were happening. Good things have happened. I mean, God's really blessed our ministry. I mean, God has, tendency has been good, overcome the the pandemic, I mean, suffered through it. God bless. We had people to come and we had six baptisms, ten other additions last year. I mean, ministry was good. But on the inside, midnight as we, my prayer time, my intimacy with God was at times inconsistent and at times nonexistent because I found myself loving ministry than having more intimacy with God. I was working on sermons. I was working on Bible studies. I was praying, I was praying here, praying there, but it was all doing it disconnected from intimacy with Jesus. And I found out that I was loving ministry more than I was loving Jesus. Came in here Tuesday. No, oh, Thursday, I'm sorry. Got that little book, came right in here. And man, God had a talk. He did most of the talking I did a lot of listening and then I did a lot of weeping and crying and asking Him to forgive me and repenting for putting ministry over intimacy with Him. God's on mission, He calls a people to be on mission. God's people depart, they cry out to God, He gives them a choice, repent or perish. If they repent, revival comes. So where are you on this God's pattern thing? God calling you to be saved today? To be on mission with him? Have you departed from God? Are you being disciplined? Don't even want to admit it? You think it's coming? You feel you need to be broken? He don't want your sacrifices. He said what he wants is a contrite heart, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Change your mind, agree with God, change your heart, be broken hearted, change your will. Put away sin, change your actions, have a new way of living. You say, Brother Samuel, how do you change your will? God will give you the power to do that. According to Philippians 2.13, it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. He'll give you the willpower to do whatever he wants you to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence and see a pattern of revival and spiritual awakening. Be with each person here this morning as this, this invitation is given. It's not an invitation for a recommitment, another promise. But it's an invitation, first to a call to salvation. Truly believing in Jesus. Trusting in Him for eternal life and nothing else. And then at the same time, a call, Lord, for repentance over rededication, recommitment, resolutions, whatever it might be. Promises. So I pray that you've spoken to the hearts of people as you spoke to mine. We pray for revival to break out in our church, and our own personal lives. Be honored and glorified today, in Jesus' name, amen.